Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Stephen Oshansky, and this is the State News Sports Podcast on this Friday, day before game day for Michigan State as they take on BYU, looking to turn around their dismal, uh, almost abysmal season, I would call it. And it's also the day my Cubs take on the Giants in the NLDS uh, on their way to winning, ending that 108-year drought. They're finally going to do it, hopefully. So we'll get into that. We'll talk where we're at with MLB predictions. We'll also get into the MSU-BYU breakdown. We'll ask you, who gets into the college football playoff? It's been kind of a wacky year. It's been kind of hard to predict just yet. And then, as always, we'll close out the show giving you our national picks for the national games of the week and then the Big Ten games. So that's the mix for this Friday afternoon show. And, you know, we're going to start this one off on a good note, on a good Friday afternoon. We're going to start in the MLB. My Cubs taking on the San Francisco Giants, who beat the New York Mets 3-0 to get here in the NL Wild Card game. And a 3-0 game, I think it was a home run by Connor Gillespie in, in yep. the bottom of the 8th, yeah. I believe. Or no, it was a clutch home run. No, it was top of the 8th. That would be my bad. And I'll, I'll put it forward right now. San Francisco isn't one of those teams that are really known for its offensive potency. If they don't make it far in the playoffs, that's why. Um, but they have a pitching rotation that is just flat-out great. I mean, you've got Madison Bumgarner. You've got, uh, I'm blanking right now, Matt Moore. You've got Jeff Samarja. You've got Johnny Cueto. Those are four of the best guys, and that's uh, a rotation like that is exactly who you need in a five-game series and a best of seven. Um, and, I mean, th- the offense isn't really that much of a problem because they've gotten the job done. They have they were at the top of the NLS for a while, and they managed to get in through the wild card. I mean, they clinched well before the end of the season. Um, if, if Before we get into that matchup with the Cubs, talk a little bit about Toronto and Baltimore. Well, you know, there was that controversial ending um, with that fan throwing a can of a beverage onto the field. Um, it, at, I think it was Labatt's. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, they, they threw it at the Orioles outfielder, uh, last name Kim, blanking on the first name. But it... It was player interference, and the call should have been called out anyway, but he he completed the pot fly. Um, But, yeah, I mean, moving forward, they win off that three-run shot, that walk-off home run by Edwin Encarnacion, and they put the beat down (laughs) on the Texas Rangers. Like, that's that's the type of game that makes a statement. I mean, albeit, albeit... like the Blue Jays are only up one nothing in the series. That's a type of game that leaves a mark. Whatever makes the Cubs road easier. Um, so the Cleveland Indians they also won their first game. Uh, they defeated the Boston Red Sox. That was a really close game as well. Five four. Yeah. Um, David Poppy, uh, <laughs> David Ortiz <laughs> not getting the job done. Uh, it's his last farewell tour in Major League Baseball. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, what are your thoughts, Steven? What are my thoughts on the playoffs? Yeah. I think it's going as expected, except for probably the Texas and Toronto game. A 10-to-1 blowout. I mean, this is – it's you expect by October that you wouldn't get blown out 10-to-1. I mean, you give it a mishap every once in a while in the playoffs, but not in game one. Listen, not, I – Not in your home field. <laughs> not by nine runs, especially with the kind of offense they have. I didn't think Toronto – Pitching was any, anything is exuberant or anything you know out of this world in any sense. But right here, like this is what I've been trying to say. 
Good pitching, yes. no, good pitching goes deep into the postseason. Good hitting does not. And Texas is known as a good hitting team. They don't, I can't even name you three starting pitchers. Well, here's the outlier with that, though, is that if you think about how many of those years Texas ended the Tiger season. I mean, yeah, but it was good hitting. that was also the thing, like, they, they didn't really have a dominant pitching staff then. That was in, what, 2011? Like 2010, 2011. Yeah, like that was. They, they had Verlander. Uh, they had Scherzer, who wasn't like a dominant pitcher yet, and they had a Porcello who was still really young, and they had a Doug Fister who was just all right. Sure. Um, but they, even even in even I mean, then, it took though, the team until 2012, 2013 to really develop. Right. And uh, but even even then for Texas though, they still put up big numbers against St. Louis. Yeah, and I'm looking here. I mean, they've got you Darvish, who's obviously a very good pitcher. Um, the undoubtable ace of the staff, except for Cole Hamels, but Cole Hamels got rocked. Right. Um, and that's that's really frightening if you're a fan of the Texas Rangers because he's their game one starter. <laughs> and if he's supposed to give you the best performance out of the rest of the pitching staff, that that's a scary... Especially at home, game one. Like, that's the fact I keep going back to. Yeah. Game one at home, you can't lose that way that bad. And... Th- I don't want to say it drains you because teams can always respond, but it never sets the right tone. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you also got Kobe Lewis and Martin Perez. And other than that, that's probably what the pitching staff is going to consist of. Right. And then you got guys on uh, Toronto. I mean, Marcus Stroman, he's a really good pitcher. And you got uh, R.A. Dickey still. I mean, R.A. Dickey's a million years old, but... He he's still he's like Bartolo. He gets the job he done. I remember like the number one pitcher in MLB. But going further, what do you see from the Cubs and Giants? Then I'm like Cubs before, and Giants. I'm, I'm seeing a pitching. Game. I'm I'm expecting a pitching duel. Um, that's Look, probably John, John Lester takes the mound. Johnny Cueto for the the Giants, and it it's in Wrigley Field. And you always you always hit on, and I always just kind of I blank on it. I just roll my eyes. But October is different. You know, as much as I don't want it to be different, I do think, however, John Lester's on fire. John and Lester is on Wade fire. Is good. I, you know, I don't look at the Giants as what I used to look at. At 20, when in 2010 and 2012 and 2014, like, I don't look at them the same any, as I did. I mean, credit the... I don't think they have the... Like, I really don't think they have the hitting. I mean, it took them... I mean, you, you're facing yeah. Noah Syndergaard, but nobody on, that, nobody on that lineup scares me like Pablo Sandoval did. The Pablo, I, I still don't really. Well, I mean, none get of none of those like Pablo Hunter Sandoval. Pence isn't the same. No, uh, none of these guys. Um, none of these guys scare me as a as a Cubs fan, offensive wise. It's going to be whether or not our the the Cubs offense can get it done. I mean, Bryant, Bryant and Rizzo, your two leading guys, both batting just under three hundred. And you know, it's really scary, like in the fact that. Connor Gillespie had a really good season, and he he's kind of the guy that flew under the radar because when he played for the White Sox, Connor Gillespie couldn't hit himself out of a paper bag. He couldn't <laughs> hit the broad side of a barn. Right. So for him to go out and I almost lead the NL in hitting is very impressive. Uh, they've got guys like Buster Posey, who's obviously year in and year out an all-star and one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, you've got Brandon Belt, who... He's an average first baseman in terms of hitting. Brandon Crawford, who's a decent shortstop. Um, Joe Panic, he's a really good second baseman. He kind of flies under the radar. Um, the, the one thing I, I look at that Cubs offense-wise, it, you look at the season and you hope it, it carries over. And Bryant, it's 39 homers. 
Rizzo is 109 RBIs. I mean, on base percentage for Dexter Fowler is 393. I mean, Chris Bryant is 176 hits. And then you look, you look at just their their OPS. I mean, Bryant and Rizzo just under 940 and 930 respectively. Dexter Fowler at 840, and then Ben Zobris at 831, and those are your four best hitters, and that's your middle of the lineup. And their on base percentage is just, just good as well. So it's like. You look at it and you hope that that kind of stuff carries over and you believe that that kind of stuff carries over because of how well they played throughout the year. Yeah. And and John, I, I have confidence John Lester. I think they take the first two, to be honest with you. I mean, really? You have Kyle Hendricks going as well. That man's on fire, though. And the way they're pitching, the way they... I mean, Kyle Hendricks doesn't have an overpowering fastball, but it's accurate as hell. Yeah. And so uh, the way he mixes, I think, it's going to be... It's going to be an interesting series. I think they take the first two, lose the third with Arietta on Monday. But I think they come back and win uh, game four on the road. I think if they still, like, if, if anybody in that series is to lose for the Cubs, it would be Kyle Hendricks. Hmm. Um, because Over Jake Arietta? How Jake Arietta is playing? Well, I mean, it all depends on the matchup, too, because it, it, it'll probably be Bumgarner against Arietta. I mean, Arietta um, is. It'll probably is, be Matt Moore against. Arietta is good. He's not. He's not putting up the numbers he did last year. I mean, his ERA is slightly higher. And, and he well, he had that rough patch winning. in the middle of the year. Yeah, but he's where and like hitters kind of started to figure him out. Points to Bumgarner as the guy who just flips a switch in October. Two carries is the same thing last year. So you you got to look at well that, but he only pitched in one series. Right, just pitched in more than one series. Well, the wild card and the oh, I'm sorry, the NLDS and the NLCS. Um, Lack of respect, son. Yeah, I'm sorry. And it was, that was, he was dominant then, and maybe he flips another switch, and I believe he has another level. I mean, the guy's a the guy's a gamer. So, but Madison Bumgarner, he's one of those guys. I didn't say he'd win. I'm just saying it's. But in that matchup, I would pick Bumgarner the way Bumgarner's playing. But then you have to come back with what game four Cueto again. Yeah, game four Cueto because these guys Cueto are probably all on. I would say three days rest, which is the norm in you know winner take all. Tight playoff. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I think they win four. I think they win in four. Win in four? Win in four. Cubs win in four. No, it's, it's going to be a five-game set. Right. I can tell you Cubs that right now. Four. Well, we disagree. So when we come back, um, we'll get into the MSU and BYU, where you're at with this team. What do you like on their chances? I know I don't like their chances very good. We'll get into that after a word from our sponsor. Listen to the SN Podcast for a chance to win a copy of the commemorative book on Mark D'Antonio of Michigan State University football, Reaching Higher. Listen to the State News Twice Weekly Sports Podcast for three keywords of the day. Then visit statenews.com slash podcast for contest entry and rules. That's it. So if you've been following along, you know that uh, we've had some three words and on Tuesday you heard those. So you have to go back and listen to Tuesday's shows for that. But this week, our first one for this Friday show is BYU. Yes, not an exact word, but an acronym, BYU. Welcome back, everybody. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon here in East Lansing, and MSU has a football game on Saturday, if you didn't know that. They will take on the Brigham Young University Cougars. The Mormons. Yes, for their very first matchup ever. It's a historical matchup. And Steven thinks that MSU's going to lose that game. I do. Tell me why. Look, MSU banged up, correct? 
If you look at the a little injuries, bit. no, a little bit. They've got three players who um, are out you definitively. You probably have your two best defenders, John Rushke and Riley Bullock gone. Malik McDowell is gone for the first half, and he's also looked rather human, so he hasn't done very much. And then Raekwon Williams is out with a with an injury as well. That one's unspecified. And I mean, Chris Fry, he missed a lot of... No, he didn't miss a lot. He went down just before overtime. Okay. So, so no, he he, he, he missed looked, the first half. He was in a sling for a good part of the week, though. During practice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's going to play, but, I mean, it wasn't a sling. It was more of a brace. So it was just taped up and whatnot, so he's fine. I think he'll play. Whether or not as effective he will be, I don't know. You'll see. I don't know if even you'll see Ed Davis or not this week. That'll be interesting. Um, it can be fall. It's going to fall on Andrew Dow and Shane Jones again. They're going to have to stop, and they're going to have to stop Jamal Williams. And you know, Shane Shane Jones did a really good job, but can he be consistent? That's I, the thing. You'll find out. We had what a one game lit in this test. Yeah. So you'll have to find that out. But Jamal Williams in, is the number two running back in the country. Yeah. And BYU's. I mean, Williams is 109 carries for 703 yards. He's averaging just under seven yards a carry, and his longest touchdown was 62 yards. So you know he's got the speed, and he's got, he's got eight rushing touchdowns. Like the man, anytime you get inside the red zone, they should score. And they, it, BYU hasn't been all that impressive in itself, but with a banged up defense like that, I mean, Taysom Hill can throw. And he's just completing under just under 60 percent of his passes for at least just under seven yards in attempt. And Michigan State has trouble getting off on third down. So even if they were to stuff Jamal Williams, I don't like their chances on third down. So, it, I mean, the only downside to Taysom Hill is his six interceptions. However, I do think they'll, they'll score early before Malik McDonald comes back, and then it'll be Michigan State having to play catch-up because I don't know about because Tyler O'Connor in the offense, I mean, you took them all game to finally put an actual drive together. Do you think those numbers, though, are a little bit inflated? It depends. Because, I mean, they started off the year against Arizona, who's not a bad school. Then they played Utah, and that, that was actually a really close loss. Mm-hmm. Um, UCLA. Close loss to UCLA. And then West Virginia and Toledo. Toledo was the, the game that really kind of sets off a red flag for me if I'm rooting for BYU. Um, because you should go in, take care of Toledo, really no problem. And they, they only won by two. However, Toledo's a pretty good MAC team this year, though. It is. Toledo, it's, to me, it's Toledo and Western Michigan for the MAC. Yeah, and and so Toledo is is good, and they have the offense. Um, West Virginia and yeah, they're Toledo or BYU. It had a good defense last year, and it's kind of suspect that it, they would give up fifty points to uh, to Toledo. But West Virginia has a high powered offense; usually it does. Toledo, yeah, that one's a little surprising. I don't know why they they pulled a Furman and took them lightly. But, uh, that and you could, know, that could just be an outlier, though, if you look at it. Yeah, and I mean, they're still really competitive against Utah, who only lost by one, and then UCLA, who only lost by a field goal. Yeah, and lost by a field goal to West Virginia again. Yeah. So it, it's, I like BYU's chances because I don't like Michigan State's. You if think that makes any sense? You think Michigan State's defense Michigan, is that banged Michigan up State, and you don't think they're going to be able to stop them? Michigan State was three and one. I would pick Michigan State. Michigan State two and two and lost Indiana. I think I think BYU could beat Indiana. So what's your final score prediction? Uh, final score prediction. I I put it in the paper, twenty seven to twenty four. I believe is my prediction. You know I'm actually on your was, yeah. I'm on your side with this one. Uh, I, I I was looking at it before. I was thinking, wow, MSU shouldn't have a problem with this game. But looking at the numbers now, you're right. Uh, give me 
What is it? The Cougars? Yeah, give me the Cougars. The the, the Mormon Cougars. Uh, they're going to win by at least a field goal. And do you think Tyler O'Connor has a good week? Yes. Um, it, it's going to be an encouraging performance on his side. He's at home, and he's got the love and support of the 75,000 Spartans, <laughs> the Spartan faith, but... It takes two sides to win a game, and the defense isn't going to show up. And the other thing you have to watch with Connor Cook is that he was sacked twice in overtime by Indiana's defense, which has gotten better over the years. And it's going to be BYU's defense. I don't think is phenomenal. It, I'd have to you know, dig a little bit deeper, but BYU. But it's good enough or not to compete. He has any any time. It's good enough to compete. How much and time? And the he O has? line, like I said, is still. A very you move Cody Keeler. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the other thing. Is Brandon Clemens and uh, or no, it was David Beadle and uh, Cody Keeler moved over to their split time at left tackle, and then you have uh, Brian or Brian Allen under center or at center now. It's so. going to be really important for the MSU offensive line to first of all stay composed. You can't be jumping the gun because penalties is what has killed the Spartans so far. It hasn't been false starts. It's been holding calls yeah and to be able to keep the blind side of tyler o'connor to keep that at stake like they can't let defenders just run right through them because that's what's a killer that's what kills drives exactly so when we come back out of the break that's msu and byu for you on this weekend who gets into the college football playoff next who gets in We'll, we'll discuss that one next We'll give you the picks, and maybe we'll we'll throw in an extra little uh, little discussion for you if we feel it's necessary. So when we come back, you'll hear about you'll hear about the college football playoff. Listen to the SN podcast for a chance to win a copy of the commemorative book on Mark D'Antonio and MSU's football team reaching higher. Listen to the State News podcast twice weekly sports show. For these three keywords of the day, and then visit statenews.com forward slash podcast for contrast and entry rules. That's it. So word number two of the show is by BY. That's like BYU, just without the U. Welcome back, everybody. Friday afternoon here in East Lansing. It's a wonderful day. And you know what? It's the most wonderful time of the year because the college football season is in full swing, and that means we get to look forward to the college football playoff. So traditionally, I mean, the last two years, um, it's been Power Five conferences, no independence yet. Um, does that change this year? Uh, Independence-wise? No, nobody in the independence. BYU ain't going to make it. Notre Dame ain't going to make it. Neither is Army or Massachusetts, so no, none of the independence. If you're talking group of five, I think so. Okay, well... Why don't you elaborate on that? Um, I Pac-12, I mean, if Washington goes undefeated, I mean, let, let's look at the landscape first. Uh, the ACC should be Clemson because Louisville uh, crapped the bed and had their chance and they blew it, and they'll probably get them again in the, in the final. But uh, I still think Clemson is better, and I still think they'll win that game. So I would say Clemson's coming out of there. I mean, you can disagree with me later. Uh, no. Clemson coming out of there. Ohio State's going to come out of the Big Ten. Ohio State's the most dominant team. I think is even might even be better than Bama. Um, Bama will probably come out of the SEC. There ain't nobody going to touch them over there. Uh, I'd be shocked if Tennessee somehow beat them. Uh, that would be uh, – I don't even know that would be a disaster. Um, Washington, 
should come out of the Pac-12. No one's really going to challenge them there. If they got upside by Oregon this week, that would, you know, Washington would be a fraud. Big 12. Um, he, that's the question mark I have. Is it going to be Oklahoma? Is it going to be? I mean, Texas is what two and two. Is it going to be Baylor out of Big 12? Um, you know, I'm hoping Baylor loses just on moral grounds. Uh, <laughs> just on just on moral grounds, I hope Baylor never gets to play football again. So where does that put Houston? Because uh, I know you're really fine on Houston. Right, and that's where I'm getting at. Um, but those are your power. That would be your power four, right? Or your power five conferences, I guess. So that'd be your power five conferences. In case you're having a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm back, everybody. Don't worry about me. <laughs> uh, but Houston would be the only one that would emerge out of the group of five. And I think if Houston, uh, I think their strength is schedule. I would hope Oklahoma beats Baylor whenever they play this year so that Houston's win looks even better. And that Houston, you know, I, I'm hoping Houston goes undefeated. And so that they'll be, what, 12-0 and heading into the college football playoff because there's no – championship game i don't believe uh there might be i can't remember and either way they'd be 12 or 13 and 0 and they would have to they would either have to i think they would replace washington out of okay all, if washington wins because if you look at it you'd have to because i think the pac-12 is down and i think a lot of people would agree with that and who do you, who you got out of there oregon's having a bad year usc is not that good yeah steven uh, one of the things that it's probably one of the biggest criticisms of the college football playoff is the fact that a lot of people think that it needs to be expanded to eight teams. What are your thoughts on that? No. And why? Oh, boy. Okay, because there's definitely... Okay. If we look at the top four teams, right? Okay. Um, every year, the top four is, is very hard to get wrong. Maybe there's that five team. There's two one-loss teams, so there would be four and five. Let's say there's three undefeated teams. And so how do you decide which one is, is better, right? You'd have to go off strength schedule and who they played, what their wins look like, everything like that. So that number five team is always going to have an argument. You could have the number five team have an argument last year. Uh, not really in a sense, but you hadn't had that with Ohio State getting in, but Ohio State ended up winning the national title, right? So, um, look, there's always going to be an argument for five, but if you there's always there's completely a difference between five and eight. There's not three one-loss teams in the top ten. There's usually two lost teams, right? Yeah. So if you've lost two games and they've been to lower-level teams usually, or you slip up to a team that is probably ahead of you in the top ten, right, you don't get to go to the college football playoff. There's two teams. Look, you can't – so you'd have to make an argument for nine then. Nine is not as good as eight. That's usually not really the case. So And usually eight is never good as five, right? That's usually yeah. never the case. So if you're – if you're going to look at it, no, I don't think it needs to be expanded because you can't dilute any more of the thing. Because if, if you just crack the top eight, you're in. It's kind of, no, you need to be a top four team. Well, I mean, you have to also think about it on this point. Um, the fact that these kids, I mean, 12 weeks is already a lot of football. Yeah, and then another game. bowl game. And then for the really good programs, they play a championship game. And then they get into the college football playoff. Yeah. Well, so think about, think about how many times that they... The NCAA is all about student-athletes and, oh, they're students first. Well, one, you're taking them out of classes an extra week or week or two. You're going to take them out of classes, right? Well, yeah, because that creates the the fact that you have two weeks of playoff you'd football. Have to, you'd have to take them out of more classes, and then you put their health and at risk. And that's, that's when you're starting to flirt team. around finals time, too. Exactly. So it's um, the one argument I did hear from our good friend Isaac uh, would definitely have been six games. Where you have one team I can see that the the, the first two seeds get a bye. Yeah, you get a play in game. 
Mm-hmm. I could understand that. I could okay. see that. That one is not as outrageous to me as eight, because then that would dilute the you know the first two out, right? And then you could, you know, you could you could do one of those. I think. But if you get to six, then I feel like it eventually would get to eight, because then you'd be like, well, it's just another two games, just another two teams, right? So. I think four is the perfect amount. I mean, have you been upset with the way it's been played? No, it's just something that you hear a lot, and I just wanted to know what your opinion was. Food for thought. Um, (laughs) Well, do you think the NCAA will eventually cave in and appeal to the masses? I hope not. I I don't think so. The NCAA hasn't been one to appeal to the masses very much because, you know, Penn State should have got the death penalty (laughs) sort of Baylor. But, uh... So, uh, we'll give you, uh, actually, Casey and I think need to argue about something. Yeah. And this is something you bring up to me all the time. Yeah, we, uh, we, we had a nice little Denver dinner conversation yesterday. <laughs> you bring up this scenario to me all the time, and, and we actually had a good friend of mine, or a good friend of ours, Ryan Squanda, uh, text me this out of the blue yesterday. If it was the Cubs, I'm an ardent Cubs fan, and the Tigers, who have also grown up rooting just as equally, because I live here, um... If it's them, because it's an NL team and an AL team, if it's the Cubs and the Tigers in the World Series, who am I rooting for? And I texted it back, Cubs, no doubt. So No doubt. Casey, Casey told me, I, wh- what did you call me? I don't even remember what I called you. I called you probably a butt boy because I do that on a daily basis. Uh, but sure. you're a fanboy. Like, you're, you're a little bandwagon fan. A band of what? Okay. Bandwagon fan. That's one thing you can't claim it. You can't claim I am a I, I'm a bandwagon fan. You, I you see you and your Ernie Banks jersey this, across I'm from me. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I didn't just jump on last year because they won 97 games and made it to the NLCS. No, I've been growing. I've grown up rooting for them. My dad went to school out in Chicago, went to Cubs games his whole life, and then when he came back here, like when he came back to Detroit, it was well, let's watch the Tigers, and then because it's an hour delay, the Cubs game would start, and so I would have like the middle of the fourth, the middle of the third inning, and then the Cubs game on at the same time. That's two baseball games at once. Wow! And so look, I've grown up watching both on my TV. You you inherit your teams from your forefathers, like literally. Like my, would you root for, you would root for the Tigers because you live here, right? But if your dad was a fan of. Boston, you'd probably inherit that as well. I would, but my love for Detroit would always trump my love oh, over Boston. Geez. It doesn't matter but, what my dad liked. But just I've, because grown, I've grown up liking them equally because I've had both of them ingrained into me. So, so how do, it, if you Cubs, like them equally, the how do you make a decision ultimately? That's what I'm saying. This is, why, this is how I'd make that decision. The, look, you look at who has the longer drought, right? Okay. And it's the Cubs. They haven't won in 108 years. 108 years of... Uh, whatever the Cubs, the Tigers should win a like, but the Cubs have been historically bad, right? The Tigers have been there. The Tigers have won World Series, and the last one they won was in '30, and they've come close in my lifetime. When was the last time the Cubs came close to a World Series in my life lifetime? Uh, last year, they haven't. Well, 2002 was with the yeah, with the whole was, Bartman how, fly how ball. Old was I? How old was I? Five? Yeah, not yeah, old enough. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even realize you couldn't comprehend on. the Cubs. Yeah, like exactly. you couldn't comprehend so, the greatness so the Cubs of what would have happened. That good in my lifetime until last year and this year. I can't remember the last time I saw the Cubs win a hundred games. I think you're just mad that the Tigers blew it in your formative years while no, you were while no, you were a teenager. No, no, no. no. The Cub- Tigers have given me great sports memories, but if it's Tigers and Cubs, I want the Cubs to win because the Tigers have given me those memories already. And this was a good point because I listened to this the other day. They asked Mike Valenti about MSU football being bad this year and why he's not as angry. They, he said because 
Michigan State over the past decade has given him more lifetime memories than he ever thought he would get. And so you can have a down year because he's seen two Big Ten championship games and Michigan State win two out of the three they've been in. And so he said that one drive, that Iowa, uh, the drive against Iowa to win the game erased like five years of like ever feeling bad about the team because of uh, how good, like what he's seen. They've won a Rose Bowl. Like, look, you can go through the list of what teams do in your lifetime that you'd want them to see them do. A Rose Bowl is always up there, and you and I have seen that. I've seen a Rose Bowl. Like, what, what, what more do I want to see? A national title? That's unrealistic here. They're never going to win a national title at Michigan State again. I don't think so. That's a topic for another day. Well, guys, if anyway. you want to send hate mail to Steven. <laughs> anyway, but, like, I've never seen the Cubs win a World Series. I've never seen them get there. And you've you and never seen the Tigers win getting, a World Series, though. though. You and I both know just getting there is a, an accomplishment in itself. How many times have the Tigers been in the World Series in my lifetime? Twice. Two. I've been alive for oh six, twelve. Years. Yeah, it doesn't happen. The Tigers, the Cubs haven't been to anybody's World Series in, what, 70-something years? 80 years now? Yeah. Yeah. So, like... I've never seen it. My dad's never seen it. My dad would definitely root for the Cubs over the Tigers. I'm going to root for the Cubs over the Tigers if that ever comes down to it. Unless unless the Cubs win the World Series before before that ever happens. Let's say before like before the Tigers let's say match years, up. Like it's 7 years it's Tigers and Cubs in the World Series. And let's say the Cubs win the World Series this year and the Tigers have it. I'd probably root for the Tigers. See, I the thing for me is I guess I can't empathize with you. I I can't put myself in the situation i always put my geographical location in over my dad's allegiance to a team because even though he, Ooh, it's he not my dad yeah but like even team. though he put me in front of the tv and he like cheered and then therefore through osmosis i cheered for him the the fact that the tigers have been my team since day one and i i can't ever put them anywhere else well, it's just different like i said i've grown up watching both i just don't live in chicago I've been to a Cubs game. Like I've been to, like so. It's not like it's not like I'm just a some raggedy old fan. So anyway, um, that was good. So I I still think Casey's a bum. I think you're a bum. I, you're you're the biggest bum. So when we come back, we'll give you our picks. That'll end our show. We'll wrap you up with the picks. Talking MSG football is complete without talking about the driving force behind this amazingly successful program, Mark D'Antonio. Hi, Stephen Oshansky here, and any true Michigan State fan has to check out Reaching Higher, a commemorative book detailing the story behind D'Antonio and how he elevated a struggling team into a national powerhouse. Whether new to Spartan football and reading about this journey to excellence for the first time, or a seasoned football pro wanting to relive the excitement, Reaching Higher makes a great read and an even greater gift. Reaching higher, Mark D'Antoni and the Rise of Michigan State Football is available for just $24.95 at T-H-E-S-N-E-W slash, or W-S slash D'Antonio Book. That website again is T-H-E-S-N-E dot W-S forward slash D'Antonio Book. Hi everybody, Casey Harrison here. And if you can't remember that, just go to the State News website, click on the Reaching Higher banner, and it'll take you right to the checkout page. Remember, Reaching Higher. Listen to the SN Podcast for a chance to win a copy of the commemorative book on Mark D'Antonio and the MSU football team reaching higher. 
Listen to the State News twice weekly sports podcast for these three keywords of the day, and then visit statenews.com forward slash podcast for contest entry and rules. That's it. So word number three, the third and final word is three. T-H-R-E-E. Like the third word of the day, three. Welcome back to the State News Podcast. It's time for the picks. I'm Steve Oshansky with Casey Harrison. I believe I'm just beating Casey in the picks lately. We'll have to go back and double check that. We'll have you for that next Friday. But anyway, first game of the week, number 23, Florida State. They're 3-2, 0-2 in the ACC. At number 10, Miami, who is 4-0 and 1-0 in the ACC. That's an 8 p.m. showdown. Miami giving a three-point favorite. You know, I'm still kind of skeptical at Miami. I don't think they're just in the number 10 ranking. Um, but Florida State, they've had two losses, which is kind of a flag. It's a red flag. But give me the Hurricanes. Give you the Hurricanes. I'm going to pick the Knolls in this one. I don't, I don't think my, I think Miami's a little bit overrated, so I'm going to pick the Knolls to get a little bit back on track. They'll go forward, too. Uh, Game number two, number one, Alabama, 5-0 and 2-0 in the SEC. At number 16, Arkansas, who is 4-1, 0-1 in the SEC. That's a 7 p.m. kickoff down in Little Rock. Alabama, two-point, or two-point, two-touchdown favorite. I think that's a little overrated. I'm just going to give you my pick. I'm still picking Bama, but I'm picking by less than two touchdowns. You know what? I, Bama's the number one team in the country, and I think that 14-point uh, spread is a little generous. So... I'm I'm gonna say Alabama by seventeen. Wow, so two coin two so the two different sides of the coin right there. Number three, number nine Tennessee at number eight Texas. Both are undefeated and both Texas A uh, and M. Or I'm sorry. Wow, jeez. I'm yeah. At number eight Texas A and M. Texas A and M five and zero three and zero in the SEC. Tennessee five and zero two and zero in the SEC. That's a three thirty game down at College Station. So who you got? You know, at the end of this game, somebody's going to have one loss. Somebody's going to go home and probably not have any chances for the college football playoff at the time being. Um, I like Texas A&M's chances. Tennessee, they've kind of struggled against little lesser teams, but Texas A&M hasn't had that problem. See, I've picked against Tennessee before. I lost both times. So, I'm the the Vols ain't going to let me down this week. Texas A&M might be the hottest team in the country, to be honest with you, but I Gut feeling just tells me Tennessee. So I'm going to pick Tennessee in this one. Texas is going to be a fourth. Texas at Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry, number four game of the week. That's a noon kickoff. Both teams uh, two and two on the year. So Oklahoma favored by about 12 points in this one. Yeah, uh, this one's kind of like the toilet bowl. Two two, two lost teams playing for the uh, Golden Chalice. But (laughs) it's going to be the Sooners in this one, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, yeah, I, I don't trust Texas's defense, so I'm going to have to pick Oklahoma as well. And our fifth game of the week, number 25, Virginia Tech, 3-1, and 1-0 in the ACC. At number 17, North Carolina, 4-1, 2-0 in the ACC. It's a 3-30 kickoff down at Chapel Hill. North Carolina only favored by 1.5 points. Well, it's going to be a really close game. Uh, I don't really know much about these two teams Uh but I like UNC. I like their chances just because they're four and one. They've played sixty extra minutes of football. <laughs> so don't doubt don't doubt the Hokies. I'm gonna pick that one as my upset of the week. So now over to the Big Ten, Casey, take it away. 
Well, the first game of the Big Ten is Iowa, 3-2 and two and 1-1 one, one in the Big Ten, and they're going to take on Minnesota at Minnesota. They're 3-1 and one and 0-1. Oh and that game kicks off at noon. Iowa's favored to win that one just by one. Uh, you know, I watched Minnesota blow it to Penn State last week on the road where I called Minnesota beating Penn State. This time, they're not going to screw up at home. I got Minnesota beating Iowa by a field goal. No, Iowa's really had a lackluster season in all senses of the word, but... That season's going to continue. <laughs> Give me the Gophers. Uh, game number two of the afternoon, Maryland 4-0, 1-0 in the Big Ten at Penn State, 3-2, 1-1 in conference play. That game also kicks off at noon. Maryland favored just by one and a half. You know, Maryland putting up 50 points on Purdue. I know it's Purdue, but Maryland's got an offense. Maryland's got quite the offense, and they may be 4-0, or they are 4 <laughs> They may be 5-0. They're going to be 5-0 after they beat Penn State. I think they put up a good offensive showing. Give me Maryland over Penn State. You know, the Hoosiers, uh, they're going to take on number two Ohio State in Columbus. They might be able to pull off the upset on did that one. Did you give one. me your pick on that last uh, one? That game picks off at 3.30. I'm sorry, did I not pick? The... I don't think you did. Oh, well, uh, give me Maryland. Uh, the Terps, <laughs> Terps are going to take care of business. Anyway, back to business. Uh, Hoosiers, 3-1, 1-0 in the Big Ten. At number two, OSU, 4-0, 1-0. And that game kicks off at 3.30. Ohio State, uh, they're favored by 28.5. Uh, that's a little, I think, generous for Ohio State because Indiana proven last week that they can run with the uh, big boys a little bit if you count Michigan State as a big boy. Is MSU a big boy, though? Uh, they've been a big boy the last few years, and that was quite the good win, I think, for Indiana's confidence. I do think Indiana's defense is better than people think. I think Indiana makes it a little bit closer than 28, probably a little more like 17. I think Ohio State pulls this one out. Well, Ohio State is the best team in the country, even though the rankings don't uh, necessarily say that. But the Buckeyes should win this one by two touchdowns. And then game number four, number four, Michigan, 5-0, 2-0 in the Big Ten at Rutgers. That game almost uh, a little speculation that it might have been moved because of Hurricane Matthew. Uh, two and three Rutgers is and zero oh and two in the Big Ten. That game is at seven p.m. Michigan favored by thirty. Uh, yeah, I would take that and I would take the over as well. <laughs> yeah, Michigan's a scary good team. <laughs> um, yeah, take Michigan. Uh, give me the Harbaugh's. <laughs> and then game number five, BYU two and three. They're independent at MSU, who is two and two and zero oh and two in conference play. That game is at three thirty at Spartan Stadium. You already heard me talk about it. I think Michigan State, they're not a touchdown favorite. They're not, I just can't see them putting anything together, but then they could surprise me and throw out and win by like 40 to nothing. This team is is that erratic, I think. So I'm still going to stick with my guns and give give me BYU, give me Jamal Williams for, uh, I think, three touchdowns in this game. Give me uh, BYU 27, Michigan State 24. You know, I heard you talk earlier in the week that BYU is going to win this, and I was thinking, no way. There's no way that BYU wins this. And then the more and more I looked into it, uh, the more and more it looked like it could actually the favor BYU. Um, and I, I've got somebody I went to high school with is Mormon, and they, they weren't bad. They uh, let me borrow some lunch money once. Wow, so I'm going to take I'm going to take BYU. All right, that'll do it on this Friday afternoon. Those are your picks. I'm Steven Oshansky, as always, with Casey Harrison. Casey, your final thoughts? Well, remember to follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, give us a listen on iTunes and leave a review. We'll see you all on Tuesday. See ya.